because it's like the uh, um, you know like well first like with Django, but then also like when they're watching on uh, Bob's Burgers banjo. I feel yes. like that, that's sort of again like, yeah, yeah. So I feel like why hasn't that come up at some point? As his theme is just Mando. That's right. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Motormouth Podcast, the podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere. My name is Joel Tyree, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, the Tim Gerard. Hello. Hi, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that every time. There's no link. <laughs> All right. This, this week, two topics enter, and sanity leaves. What'd you bring, Tim? The Mandalorian Season 1. Oh, shit. Okay. Damn. Okay. Solid, solid, solid. <laughs> <laughs> I also brought a TV show. Um, oh, nice. The Boys, season one and Ooh. two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just finished season two. So Outstanding. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, did you just finish Mando for the first time or are uh, you no, rewatching? I, okay. I, I watched it a while ago. It was after all, all the seasons of episode one had come out. So it was, it was kind of after the fact, I already knew all about Baby Yoda, you know, um, uh, a lot of it wasn't spoiled for me other than Baby Yoda was in the, the show. Gotcha. Um, and then I kind of, I watched it myself. And um, recently, you know, my wife and I had, you know, she, she's gotten into Star Wars kind of more and more, the more we watch stuff, um, which is great. Cause like, she doesn't like watching a lot of movies. So kind of getting her into Star Wars, it kind of started with like, okay, yeah, she likes the original trilogy. Okay, she'll she'll sit through the prequel trilogy. Oh, yeah, oh, we went to see, the, you know, the, the sequel trilogy in theaters. Okay, you know, and we basically had gone through and started with episode one and we're watching everything. I think we got to Clone Wars. I was already partway through Clone Wars. So she kind of just picked up where I was, um, you know, did the whole solo and Rogue One and Rebels, which Rebels I had seen for the first time with her. That was kind of neat because it was both of us watching Rebels for the first time and experiencing it together. So that was really fun. And that ended up being one of my favorite corners of the, the, the Star Wars universe. Um, and then we, uh, we just recently made it through. And I think what happened was, you know, we, yeah, we watched the Mandalorian season one and that was my second time seeing it, her first time seeing it. And then we didn't want to wait for season two to finish the, the the film. So we watched the sequel trilogy and then jumped back to watch season two of Mandalorian. So so we're actually watching it currently. We usually we don't necessarily watch it every Friday night, but usually Friday, Saturday, because um, there are a bunch of shows we all watch. It, like Bridge Baking Show comes out with a new episode. Right. Uh, Superstore has a new episode on Friday. So those three shows we kind of juggle within Friday night, Saturday morning. So yeah, so and that's part of why I only wanted to talk about season one because season two isn't finished now as as at the time of this recording. Um, and for anyone who might be a few episodes behind, I didn't want to sort of talk about the most recent episode in case you haven't quite caught up yet. So I figure we can kind of, you know, talk now about just season one. And I'm sure sometime later on we could be like, yeah, let's talk about all season two now. Um, 
so, so yeah, so it was kind of, it was, it was neat, you know, getting, again, getting to kind of rewatch it, you know, and watching it with someone who's never seen it before. I know we've talked about that before. That's, you know, a lot of the fun is when you're kind of trying to not give anything away, but look at their reactions mm -hmm. and see what they think, you know, and um, especially cause you know, she, I know she likes cute stuff. So I'm like, Oh God, you're going to love baby Yoda. Like <laughs> you see it, you know, and such so, an like, easy sell. Thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's like, the thing I little... watched, I watched the first episode cause Tyna had no interest. And it's like, oh, wait, but you're gonna. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the first two or three episodes I watched and then I rewatched it, just fast forward into the Baby Yoda bits for her. And then she just mm -hmm. ended up watching the show. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's great too, because like, you know, she, you know, well, we, we both love cats. I mean, her, you know, to a much greater degree than anyone else on the planet. <laughs> um, but like, you know, there are a lot of things he does. It's very kind of mischievous and, and mischievous and, and like cat-like. Um, and I, I remember like, you know, when we, in uh, episode seven, you know, there's that part where BB-8 is purring at Ray to try to get her to like, you know, get him, let him go along with her. And like, I was like, she's going to love this part. And it was, it was great to kind of see, oh, be like, oh, it's like a cat, you know, and like, boom, like she latched onto that. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the scenes when, when Mando kind of puts him in the ship and he reaches up and he unscrews the little, the little sh oh. thing off the shifter. And he's like, put that down. And then you see the, the little hand go up immediately after it's like, but it's such a cat move, you know, where it's like, Oh, oh okay. Oh, your back is turned. Yeah. I'm going for it now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and it, it, it's interesting too, because I, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, you know, you had me at Mandalorian. You know, yep. I, I didn't need a baby Yoda, but after watching it and even like a second time, it's like, it's like, no, like it, you, you need the baby Yoda. It's kind of, you know, it's like Batman needs his Robin kind of thing. Like, sure, we can have a Batman story, but, and, and maybe this is just me, but like, I, I get, you know, very tired of the same thing, you know, um, you know, that's why I love the Batman, Superman, Superman, Batman comics so much. Cause you get the, the duality between the two. Um, so, so here you get that contrast between like Mando and, and baby Yoda. And, you know, you get the, the badassness of Mando, but the cuteness of baby Yoda. And you, you get, um, you know, you also get to see how much more complicated everything is because of the child, you know? So it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like it adds an extra layer to the plot, you know? And also I feel like it instantly tells you who Bando is when, you know, they're going for the child. And it's just like, you know, and um, was it, uh, um, is IB-88? Is that the, the droid it's name? IG-11. IG-11, that's right. In 88 was one. in the original. Yeah. 88 is the bounty hunter that's from right. the original series. Right. Trilogy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, right away when it's like, oh, we, you know, bring it in dead, whatever. Okay. I'm going to, you know, shoot you because, you know, we're not going to kill this little baby, you know? So like right away, you're like, this is not Boba Fett. Boba Fett would have fucking right. killed baby Yoda and IG 11 and taken baby Yoda for himself, you know, but the fact that he's like, no, you're not killing this defenseless child. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. Like it instantly just like set up the whole show. And, and I love that. And it was, it wasn't what I was expecting. I mean, it was by the time the show had aired, but like going into the show when I knew they were making a Mandalorian show. Um, yeah. I was expecting like, Oh, it's going to be like, you know um boba fett light or something but it's like no this is this is different and i'm i love it you know um i i w one of my favorite early moments too and I, I was telling a friend about this who how it's like you know it's like a video game when he upgrades his armor and how it's like <laughs> oh he just gets the shoulder piece at first and it's like you know you get these little and i almost wish part of me does wish that 
he didn't go back with all of the uh, um uh, what's the what's the, what's it called? the best car they didn't go back with all the best car and get all new armor i almost wish it had to be like one piece per episode or <laughs> you know like it's like okay here's one piece and you had to do this okay now i get a new you know breastplate okay now i gotta go okay now i have a new leg plate you know but it's the opposite leg from where i have the new shoulder so it's kind of about you know um but but whatever i mean and then you see him it's like oh god he's so much more badass you know so it's like i am i am grateful to get to see him with the full decked out armor um but yeah it's it's and and you know you know speaking of of star wars in general you know we've talked about various aspects of star wars in the past and like the jedi were always my favorite part of star wars and I, you know we had a conversation once that it took me a while to realize that different people love star wars for different things right you know like like hearing that people were so excited that in rogue one there are no jedi and no lightsabers and i was like what like what that was my that's what i was there for you know and and kind of you know like i always thought han solo was cool but he wasn't my favorite you know he was like the best friend of my favorite character whereas other people like han solo was their guy you know and luke was his annoying sidekick you know and it's like you know you see that that you know that's sort of a thing and you know i remember you telling me you're, you're very into the ships and it's like oh i never really thought about the ships except the, for the millennium falcon like i love the falcon but like that's about it you know so so now i'm definitely moving more towards the mandalorians and and that also started you know with um in uh uh clone wars and right. rebels too because we see a bunch of mandalorians filtered throughout there and and they're great they're all great like their 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 history their mythology is is great um even some of the comic books i've read um those were tough to get through because they're like centuries i think even before knights of the old republic so the mandalorians look very different and this is back when the original mandalore was still alive and you know you wouldn't recognize them if they weren't calling them mandalorians but it's just so cool to see what a big part of that universe they actually are um you know, and, and, you know, sort of what the armor means and how that's even evolved. Like, I feel like in, and they, you know, they, well, okay, I won't give that away. That was more of a season two thing, but we, it's we real get a difficult little bit to talk about them in isolation. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking like trying to, to temper commentary about it. it. It's such a rich, and that's the thing, like I'm, I'm getting back every, every couple months. I'm like, okay, I'm going to continue clone wars. Not, not because I don't like it. It's just like, it, there's a lot to of it. And yeah. it's it's kind of interspersed with different people's stories, and it's like if you're if you're not feeling an Anakin snips episode, you don't really want to watch one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I watched kind of the the um, Darth Maul um, visage or Savage Oppression, I guess is his oh name, yeah his brother's name. So kind yeah. of like their redemption and their kind of starting the, the criminal organization and that interaction with Mandalore. So I, I've had those couple of episodes. I know that. And then a few where Padme goes and kind of like is negotiating them as this kind of like neutral party in this, the galactic civil war. So it, it, and that's the thing, like the reason Boba Fett was so cool was nothing. He did nothing. He said, right. except like, vader telling him no disintegrations it was because that armor that mystique we didn't know who was behind it that's one of the biggest i think missteps of the prequels is is giving Mm -hmm. us an origin for him like it was so cool to see a Django fett but that for him to be a clone and it'd be like it's just this very i'm I'm not mad like i'm not mad with where it's ended up with Mm -hmm. boba and that's kind of storyline he still has this mystique and we still have questions about him um because there's a lot of unaccounted for time uh 
So, but it was always just like, what is this? What is this armor? It's always mysterious. Right. It's always powerful. It always has this mystique. And again, like you said, like you sold me on Mandalorian by calling it that. Like right. it, it, and that's the thing. I was hoping it would be this kind of Western space Western, like what I mm-hmm. wished Firefly had been. And that's yeah, just I, another, yeah. yeah. And I definitely it, see a lot of Firefly, like a lot of influence, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just, it's so unique in that it's the one thing in Star Wars that's balanced. <laughs> it, it just, it's so, it's such the right mixture. And you kind of, you, you underestimate the value of like the C-3PO R2 element in mm-hmm. the original trilogy. You can't really have all of the heavy shit without their comedic relief and they're this like choral character they kind of are kind of going through this universe kind of oblivious in the same way we are discovering that universe that very first time Mm. so without that kind of tempering of all this heavy like evil space wizards and choking out of your your son by fathers and electric lightning hands like there there's this really good balance that because there's humor, those movies are humorous. Those characters are are rich and detailed, and they have these interpersonal relationships. And it's not just guy meets girl, guy gets girl. It's a very kind mm-hmm. of like different kind of relationship. A little rapey in Empire Strikes Back, but it's kind of the last gasp of that. Um, <laughs> but it, it just Mandalorian is so. I knew I wanted a space Western. I didn't know I wanted babysitters club combined with it. Right. <laughs> and it's so much better for that because we have some stakes. Like it, it, it's really fun to watch the lone face gunman, like navigate these things. Right. But you put something as sweet and innocent and, and empathetic as the child or baby Yoda in it the stakes just get re- you you're so much more engaged like you, that's the formula is you put baby yoda into mild to extreme peril and that's an episode you are mm-hmm. in for every second of that episode and it's just impeccably rendered great acting it's so cool to see like this alternate universe snl <laughs> cast who's in it like <laughs> Uh, Brian Posehn's in it, and uh, Bill Burr, and mm-hmm. it, it's in uh, Sudeikis plays that mm-hmm. asshole stormtrooper, right? <laughs> and it, it's it's the right it's the right mix of fan service. It's the right mix of new stuff. Like, there's definitely been things that I didn't even know about, like the death or that's spoiler. Never mind. I didn't know certain <laughs> references because I hadn't watched all of Clone Wars. I hadn't watched all of Rebels, but I don't think it alienates you for any of that. You know, like it just, you can follow the story along that's being told and, or you can, and you can also pick up on the little, little fan servicey things that are peppered in. And it's, it doesn't feel overly saccharine. It doesn't feel like cheap fan service. Like I think the, the, uh, uh, rise of skywalker was we we have differing opinions on that film I, mm-hmm. but it, it just it gets the balance right and it so yeah. consistently gets the balance right i 
I have yet to hear somebody complain about it. And for this fandom that I hold so dear, we are so bitchy and so difficult to please that for, for them to have made something that appeals to us universally is kind of unheard of. Like, yeah. Well, and I think part of it is, you know, I feel like we've, we've maybe said this at times, or at least acknowledged that the things we, we do love that work really well, part of what makes it work is there's a fucking team wearing it, working on it. There are checks and balances, not one guy going, we're doing this because I want to, <laughs> you know, whether it's George Lucas during the prequels, whether it's JJ and, and Ryan Johnson doing the, the sequel trilogy, you know, I feel like it was always one person in charge of everything and any bad idea that was had made it into the movie. You know, and this is a group of people who are all, you know, like have to kind of confer with each other. And you've got sort of that, okay, we're, we're here to make sure that this is a unified vision, but you all get your say in it. We can all kind of interact with each other. And I don't know if you also watch the, what is it called? Like the Disney gallery. No, I haven't um, yet. Oh, it's great. You should watch it. Yeah. Yeah. We won't talk too much about that, but like that it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and you see a lot of the creators and the writers and the directors all kind of talking with each other. It's like, Oh, but you said this and it made me think of this. And that's why I did this, you know? And it's like, you get this collaboration between all these creators and, you know, each of them kind of has their own episode that they direct, but they're still like collaborating with a lot of stuff, you know, on a lot of stuff. Um, You know, and, and I think that's a big part of it that it wasn't one person's vision that it's like, I'm making the movie I want to see you know you by by having these other people put their their thoughts into it you know it, it everyone gets their personal stamp and it's kind of it's kinda, <laughs> this is a funny analogy too being a composer but i feel like it's a difference between a composer and like a band who write their songs together as a band mm-hmm. you know you get the input of all the musicians kind of mixing together to create this thing as opposed to a composer being like we're doing what I, you're going to play the notes i say to play Right. you know but but that's part of i think being a good composer is you've got to hopefully run yourself through all these things well how is this going to sound how is you know i know i've been listening to this a hundred times and it makes sense to me but how is it going to be perceived by the audience you know and i feel like a lot of people don't necessarily do that or you know like you were saying if it's fan service it's like well this one group of people wants it to be this way and it's like you know there's there's a way to do both you know like and you know i think mandalorian does that you know it it, it pleases the fans but also ble- pleases new people you know and you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a group of people who know how to make good stuff, making a good thing together, you know? And it's, it's also like Favreau is a great showrunner director. Like I, I mean, he's come so far from swingers. <laughs> right. I love it. <laughs> like in, in, in swingers is very of its time and it was, it, it's it was good. Yeah. It's not without merit. I, I, it, it's kind of dated and it, it has all the, but like, thank God for Vince Vaughn in that movie. Like, like that just became his stick and he continued to roll with it. And I happen to like that. So I'm okay with it. it it's just like you take Iron Man, right. As, as the beginning of the MCU, but like, that's a guy who knew how to do fun, introduce a character to people who like kind of not obscure, but like obscure to people who don't know comic books. Right. Like you introduce it to this new audience, you mm-hmm. modernize it, and you peppered in enough things in the background that people would appreciate if they'd read the comics. And look where we're at now. Like <laughs> how many Avengers later? And right. like, yeah. so it, it's just like, and, and separate from like, like Chef is a great movie. I really enjoy that movie. I, he ju- It just seemed like he, he knows fun. Like he knows how to make things fun. 
Um, <laughs> Jungle Book, I think he did. I I wasn't really all that into that version of the Jungle Book that he did. It's fine, but like, it, it, I don't know. It, it just was like, I just kind of breathed a sigh of relief when I found out he was the showrunner before, it, yeah. like, as we were getting production things is like a breadcrumb at a time. Like, it's like, okay, Favreau's got it. It, it, it will probably be enjoyable. Yeah. But I, I did not anticipate it, it to be the thing that unified Star Wars fans. It, it's just <laughs> such a daunting, impossible task. And it, it's just like, again, the balance is so perfect. Because the sequel trilogy, like, it doesn't have this unified vision and it, it, it kind of becomes two directors having a pissing contest in the last two films. Like, that's right. essentially what it is. Whoever's pissed stream you liked more, that's the film you liked. It's fine. Right. Um, but it, it just, it seemed like by the time you got to the end of it, you didn't really have any fun. Mm. And that's kind of what Star Wars is. Like, it, it's this big allegory and it's good, it's evil, and it, it's it's this this warring conflict but like there there's i mean han solo shouting yahoo after the the death star blows up or making the i mean mm -hmm. I, i'm gonna just refer to han solo shit for a while like the we're all fine here now thank how yeah. are you like right. just the balance and i don't know if that was just like the casting of that and it was also like it wasn't lucas making every decision in those three films i think that's probably to its credit, the best, <laughs> those films are what they are because it wasn't just Luke, one guy, Lucas, saying what, and we saw what three films of that were. You can either like the mm -hmm. prequels or whatever. Um, but it just like, when the, when the prequel trilogies were about trade disputes and weird, <laughs> like a lot of stoic monk-like Jedi, like it, it just changed the timbre and the tone of, I just like the, I don't think it's been fun for a while. You know, like, I, I think that's, yeah. that's the biggest triumph of the Mandalorian is, is like making, make Star Wars fun again. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> and it's, it's just great. Every, every character that we got in that was really solid, really fun. I love Bill Burr in space. Yeah, if I could that watch that, like that was, I, that's what I think that's, one of if not my favorite episode of that first season is the high mm -hmm. the prison break yeah because it's a classic setup and and it, it's bill burr in space <laughs> like <laughs> bill burr is space racist in in star wars like it's <laughs> great <laughs> yeah i mean I, and i think that's what was great about it too is like every every episode had its own sort of flavor you know like you could look at that as this standalone episode and just kind of be like, yeah, like I can just watch that episode. And that's sometimes that like, as much as I love that TV shows are like more serialized now, it, it's tough to be like, I'm going to watch one episode of TV of a show I like right. without having to start at the beginning and watch the whole thing all the way through. But I feel like that's an example of you could just watch that episode, you know, and be like, yeah, that's a great episode, you know, and, you know, I'm going to watch this one and I'm going to skip that one because I don't like it that much, but I know what I need to, and I'll watch this one, you know, and I, yeah, I feel like that's another thing they nail is the idea of like, having a self-contained episode, but also part of this bigger arc, you know? And again, I think that that has to do with the team too, you know, the way they're handling it. And it's also like the, the like you can pick up an SVU, you can pick up a, a Law & Order, all of those, like because of the formula, but you're should, familiar. 
<laughs> but should you, like you you go into those films or those shows and you know what an episode's going to get so you can duck duck in and duck out of that because yeah. you know the formula but for it to be so unique in a self-contained narrative within the star wars universe that has some stakes that's not completely like in service of a greater plot is is really unique and really really compelling i mean i just was remembering the the um atst um Mm -hmm. uh episode where they really pare it down and you're fighting with very limited weaponry and it's this big threat something that that, they call them chicken walkers like they were never a threat really because the the snow speeders could take them out it was the adats the the snow camels that you had to trip up and make actually fall down the other ones were no problem i mean ewoks took those things out with the swinging logs right right but to really pare it down, and I think it also does scale really well. In the Star Wars right. universe, is really easy to get really blown up really quick. But they were like, this is a village. These are the issues with specific uh, raiders or pirates. And there's this one big machine bad. And I don't think we've yeah. had anything pared down to that scale, really. Like the Ewoks versus the Empire was like fun, right? Like that's... Mm-hmm. That's one word for it. People like Ewoks or don't, depending on who you are and your age when you saw that film. It, that's that's right. a whole thing. But like, you never got the sense it was emotional and you had stakes because like, certain of the Ewoks die pretty savagely and and emotionally. And there's that uh, French horn note as the smoking carcass of the one is being cradled mm-hmm. by its kid. Like, there, there's there's some real meat to that. But at the end, it's it's yubnub, right? You have the dance celebration. Right. Um, but that that it just made that one piece of empire tech really formidable and and gave you a believable reason why you were there and helping those people overcome it was a really big deal like and the (laughs) making ig11 reprogramming him and kind of building that whole like it's a nursemaid yeah yeah like amando being so anti uh droid and we really don't we still don't really know why so i'm i'm really interested to see how that kind of develops but like to have that i mean i thought it's because like when his planet was being invaded by the droids and like we killed his parents gotcha which that was something that i think i think krista pointed that out to me you know it's like oh that's why he hates droids i was like oh yeah i forgot about that but it's like you know they show his flashbacks of like you know the droids coming the battle droids and like his parents throwing him in that bunker closing the doors and the droids kill his parents and they're about right. to kill him when the Mandalorian show up. So it's like, oh yeah, like yeah. That's the other thing. Like Star Wars works because of orphans, right? Like that's that's yeah. the whole premise is orphans. That's the main failing of the uh, prequel tw- trilogy. Anakin's not really an orphan. He's a bastard, but he's not an orphan. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's a single dad story too. Like <laughs> it's it, it just be, it's this multi layered thing, and I, I think. I think that's the other thing is like Star Wars is afraid to be any. I, I think it's like people get concerned with what Star Wars should be rather than letting it be right. anything at all. It's like, well, we have to have the. I got a bad feeling about this line. We got to right. have C three PO in here for some reason. We've got to have like it's all of these peppered in things like like what makes Star Wars Star Wars, and that's right. that could be debated to the end of the earth, right? Yeah. It, it just this really just. Somebody, I mean, that team decided we're going to make Babysitter's Club and 
uh, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're going to put them together. And it fucking works. Like, it, it's just an incredible, it's super compelling. Like, and I, I hate, I'm, I'm to the point where I hate waiting for things, like, episode-wise, because everything's bingeable and they drop whole seasons at a time. And I was like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for all these to come out. No, I've every single Friday, I have sat in front of the TV to watch the, the new one because I, I have to know what, what's happening next. It, it's... And I'm so sad that there's only eight episodes a season, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's so good. And it's so weird to me the way that they're making it like this, this CGI soundstage, very little practical, at least from what I've seen, like of the behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if the gallery sheds more light on it, but it just seems oh, like yeah. it's very, yeah. very artificially. But it, every part of it feels real. Like it just mm -hmm. the depth, yeah. the color balance is great. And it just so. So that's a part of, and again, when you, when you kind of watch it, you'll see. So it's not like traditional, like green screen or anything. Right. They're actually projecting those backgrounds onto the screen. So the backgrounds are there mm -hmm. when they're doing the scenes. And, and there's this whole thing that they talk about that they didn't really get with like the, you know, um, the, the parallax of like, as you're moving the camera, like the background will change so that it's gotcha. changing to fit the perspective of what the camera's looking at. But, you know, when the, the actors are on the set, like you have some sand and some rocks but then beyond that, they're also seeing the scenery that you you see. So they're, they get to sort of react to that. And the light from that gets to reflect off of his helmet and all this stuff. So, so even though they're on this little soundstage, it looks so real to the people there. It's not like, here's what it's going to look like in post. You know, right. they're seeing everything that we're seeing. Um, and I even joked at one point that they had one thing set up where, um, you know, the room had some props in it but there was also the background they were in like a zoom meeting or something like that and the people in the zoom meeting thought that they were in this like airplane hangar and it's like no everything past this is fake you know and it was like but That's you know and, and you know they would show pictures of it and it's like i can't tell where like the physical set ends and the the background begins you know so like it's yeah it's it's added to the level of performance because it's much more like they're being there um, and they are using actual some physical elements that are part of it so you know, and that's what they were saying. If they need to do reshoots, it takes a, like an hour or two to pull out all the props and bring in new props to bring in to recreate that set and then, you know, load up the computer. Boom, there's the rest of the background. We can shoot a new scene in here, you know, as opposed to like going to a different location and setting something up or, or whatever. And, you know, and, and they can do like a sunset scene and take six hours to shoot the sunset because that's just programmed in but it looks like an actual sky with a sunset, you know? And again, the actors are actually getting to react to that, that sunset, you know? So yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's lucky that they've kind of like gotten to the point. Okay. This is where we're at now for, for filmmaking like that for a small stage, you know, I don't know if it's small budget necessarily, but yeah, you're not using locations or big, huge sets that you've built. Um, but yeah, it definitely it makes a difference. And you know, everything, yeah, it seems so much more organic. You know, it doesn't look like, oh, this person's obviously walking in front of a green screen and they slapped something in later. It's like, yeah, it's, you're there. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, that also feels like very Star Wars, right? Like this pushing, mm -hmm. this cutting edge yeah. visual effects language, right? And that's something like even, even the prequels have this i mean jar jar is a, is a huge leap forward in terms of right. cgi characters that character mm -hmm. looks real and it, it's just rendered really really effectively and you mm -hmm. can 
love Jar Jar or hate Jar Jar. Jar Jar is far from the only thing wrong with those movies. Um, <laughs> but it, that was something like I didn't really get from the sequel trilogy. I didn't really think that they were pushing kind of technological, mm. like the the coolest. There, there's really cool practical creatures that they built for force awakens like bb8 as as a a design mm-hmm. is really cool and there's like right. some puppets and stuff and and i i thought they were they were cool but i didn't really hear about anything through the other two films about kind of like pushing effects really they they right. looked great they looked great good effects like just solid but like this innovation also seems like very much in the spirit of of those earlier films like just kind of pushing the boundaries of what you can do and using them to great effect to tell this space opera you know like yeah it's it's incredible um it's weird what this this wednesday feels like a friday but we still have two days until the next episode so i'm like (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna need to find a way to to kind of save my my thirst about it until it comes out like it and I need to re. I've only watched the first season once. I need to give it another watch. Get see. Oh, okay. And it's I, I. I was kind of leery about rewatching it because I. I. I don't know. I didn't want to get reinvested. I didn't want to because it's kind of emotional watching Baby Yoda in peril. Like it's hard to like mm-hmm. put yourself through that again because it's yeah. just so so sweet. Such a sympathetic character. So perfect. Like I mean. Herzog said said it best is like don't be a coward show us the baby like it, it it's <laughs> it, it's so ridiculous that Werner Herzog is in these <laughs> this show <laughs> many people yeah. he's as many people's deaths he's responsible for for him to be <laughs> <laughs> right well and I think that's one of the things that was that was kind of great about it too is that you know having these few actors who it's like you know, I, I, you know, uh, like, um, Apollo Creed with, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, I always think of his his Apollo, Apollo Creed too. Uh, 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 Carl, it's Carl, Carl Weathers. Weathers. Carl Weathers. Cause his name is Carl yeah. Weathers in, he plays himself in Arrested Development. Right. Yeah. That's what I have yeah, to remember. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can refill the soda as much as you want. <laughs> but um, yeah, but so, so I feel like it's one of those things to have these kind of like recognizable faces kind of popping in. Um, I feel like it's not really, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's weird with Star Wars because like, I feel like with the first trilogy, a lot of them weren't really known and we know them partially because of Star Wars. Right. So yeah, sure, seeing Harrison Ford in Star Wars is like, yeah, it's Harrison Ford. But you know, with the 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 prequel trilogy, you're like, oh wow, it's Ewan McGregor. Oh wow, it's Liam Neeson. You know, I feel like they they totally banked on the star power. Um, whereas I feel like with this, like there are stars in it, but they're also kind of peppered in and and they've been out of the limelight in certain ways. So like, you know, like like, yeah, the last time I saw Carl Weathers was in Arrested Development. So to see him playing this role and like oh okay like he's he's coming in and you know owning this new thing you know it's not you know it's not like you're uh, you're not casting brad pitt in star wars movie where it's like okay it's brad pitt like how am i supposed to forget that this is brad pitt you know but it's also Um, like they put pedro pascal in a mask we don't see you see his face once that's a quality actor that's a handsome actor like the restraint that they have to kind of like and when they showed him he was jacked up like he got yeah the trash beat out of it and yeah. it was just like this this really just so interesting that like 
and it's really odd to me like rocky was kind of popular at the same time star wars was so i always would get apollo creed and lando mixed up in my head oh okay so it was oh it, now it's funny that both of the guys that i thought were lando calrissian are in the star wars universe <laughs> right and that's i mean there's there's internalized racism as a part of that it's like oh you see one black dude in this thing that's a indicative of a larger problem i just thought it was it was right. funny that like these guys from the same era really came to to, right. to popularity in the same era are are both star wars characters and i really like carl weathers in this because he kind yeah. of plays this like dubious guy and he, you you see him again in the new season like i i really like that character he's believable i mean yeah well, see, and now I'm at the point you didn't want to have any spoilers about season two, but now all the things I keep wanting to say are from the, the Disney gallery thing mm. where, you know, like one of the things that's not a huge spoil, but originally he was Carl Weathers. It was going to be him, but he was going to be in like a costume as some alien. Oh, really? And they were like, we, we can't cover his face up. Like we, we need to see his face. We need to see Carl Weathers, you know. And then Pedro so, like, sees that, that in, interdepartmental memo. He's like, wait, you're not going right. to you're, you're not going to cover his face, but it's my show. I'm the Mandalorian. Well, that's, and that's one of the things he said too, when they were looking for an actor, they must've been whose face are we sick of looking at in Hollywood? Oh, this guy. <laughs> it's the whole Tom Hardy thing. Like people love yeah. putting him in a mask. There's <laughs> <laughs> a thing like Pedro doesn't need to be in the helmet. He could just send his lines in via sky. <laughs> he doesn't need to be on set right. ever. In some ways it's the best geek gig in star Wars. Right. Well, and, you know, and that's, that's another thing they talk about too, is like, like how you're, how, how to get sort of like this expression, you know, because a lot of so much expression is in the eyes and it's like, it's wearing a helmet. You can't see his eyes, you can't see his face. So, you know, how they, they had to work with that whole character to like create, you know, expression, you know, and, um, you know, similar to Boba Fett, like, you know, he doesn't say much, but he also doesn't move much. Right. So when he moves, it's very subtle, but it's also noticeable. And that was something they mentioned here is like, there's so much stillness in his character so that when he moves, you notice it and it means so much more. And it's just like, damn, that's, that's fucking brilliant. There's an element to the first season that I really liked where it was like, Mando, good against humanoids, bad against creatures. Because <laughs> he'll take out a squad of stormtroopers or thugs at a bar, no problem. Like sharpshooter. The second right. he has to fight that that horn thing, right? He gets fucked up. Oh god, yeah. I also love the Jawas in that with their fucking egg, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, eating it so like nasty. mayonnaise, like it was like the the deviled egg <laughs> mix inside of it, just like yeah. these weird nasty little dudes. <laughs> oh. And that's the thing, like it, it, it was cool because it could be kind of a monster of the week thing, but it's also a Western. Like mm -hmm. it, it just, the balance is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And they found a way to work a lightsaber in. Which, yeah. You know, like it was one of those things I hadn't been hoping for, but when the dark saber showed up at the end of episode, of the you know, last episode, it was like, <gasps> okay, you just elevated this like to yeah. the next level. Like, Holy also shit. they put i i will always call that actor gustavo fring because that's the first thing i saw him in and then he was he's been the bad big bad guy and and we'll talk about him and that's a good link we'll just use that to jump yeah. over to the boys real quick yeah but seeing him as the bad guy was like i i had forgotten he was in the show and then that episode came out i was like oh 
I'm very, I'm very frightened of this man. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't know the lore of the dark saber. Really. I haven't really gotten into that part of rebels or, or clone wars. So oh, okay. I'm, I'm going back kind of trying to rediscover that, but it's also, also like, that's cool. It's unique. And without that context, like I knew what the dark saber was. I had heard about it. Right. It's also yeah. the name of a extended u- or expanded universe novel that is no longer right. canon. That was uh, one of the huts built a super laser. They basically took it from the, the uh, Death Star wreckage and they oh, built okay. a tube. It wasn't a ball. It was just a tube that they called the Darksaber and it was just the super laser assembly. And they oh, were right. using it to like hold planets hostage. So that's, that's what I know about Darksaber. Oh, okay. <laughs> but no like him coming out of that and the effect of it to see it in real life was really cool like mm-hmm. yeah well, one of the one of the fun easter eggs too is that the i think the i think the first time it's seen in clone wars it's wielded by a mandalorian who's voiced by john favreau really yeah oh that's cool <laughs> yeah that that's some favreau universe shit that mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really cool I, I really do. I really hope that Favreau becomes the Kevin Feige of Star Wars. Star Wars, you know? yeah. Like I think Kevin Feige is part of why all the Marvel stuff works so well because it's like, okay, we, there's this one person who's kind of like overseeing everything, but everybody's doing their thing. But that you know, again, you know, and and I know I was just saying, oh, having just one person to make all the decisions, but but again, it's like it's as helping keep the as a fixer. the vision, yeah. yeah, keeping the vision like focused but but okay we're we're doing all these offshoots but as part of a unified thing and you know that's i was i was talking to someone about this after we we did rewatch seven eight nine is like i think the biggest problem with all of it is that there wasn't one person saying this is what this trilogy is about like i feel like it got redone every time it changed hands and i thought that's uh it's her name Catherine kennedy yeah kathleen it, kathleen Ka- kathleen kennedy I thought that was, I thought she was like the Kevin Feige of Star Wars, but right. it just seemed like whenever a new director came in, they just did what they wanted to do. And it wasn't a trilogy. It was like three movies that happened to t- take place one right after the other. And I think that was the thing that would have helped it. Like, even if you had changed directors, if they were like, you're coming on as director, but this is what this film needs to do. You know, right. you can write your way around that, but this has to happen. And it seemed like everyone just went, oh, fuck all, I'm doing this. Oh, no, fuck all that. I'm doing this instead, you know. And right. and I think that was the biggest problem is if, you know, if we if we had a John Favreau to say, this is what this trilogy is. Now I'm going to sort of, you know, um, what's the uh, what's the word subcontract this out to you? Like, right. yes, you're the director, but, you know, the delegation piece is, is right. definitely yeah. part of it. Yeah. And yeah. it's the thing, like there's been some incredible directors of of the the mandalorian like and it's been a great mix of male and female directors and i I Mm. guess carl weathers directed an episode of this last season and Mm -hmm. in a very unapollo creed uh move he was like very very moved and very appreciative of all the positive feedback he had gotten back i think this is his directorial debut or one of his oh wow very few director's credits which is a big deal one of my favorite carl weathers stories is when he was brought in to test with uh, 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 Stallone for Apollo Creed for the first Rocky. Mm-hmm. Sly was there and was reading lines with him. And Carl stops and is like, do we have a real actor here? Can, can I write with a real <laughs> oh, actor? Shit. And Sly goes, no, no I, I'm Rocky. Because he thought he was thought he was just the, the writer and the, the, the right. Writer. Yeah. He's like, no, actually, I'm, I'm going to be the, the, the guy. 
And he kind of looks yeah. at the DP and he goes, well, maybe he'll get better. And that's how <laughs> they, he's like, that's him. That's Apollo Creed. That's, that's Apollo exactly Creed, yeah. what we need. And apparently he's like, not a very nice guy. Just interactions. I've heard of people like going to signings mm-hmm. and stuff. And he's just kind of been, so it was like kind of a nice little, little like star Wars has, has softened your heart that you're, you're mm-hmm. actually interacting with your audience. It, it's just really sweet. It, I like the arc for his, his character. <laughs> right, <Star Wars>. yeah. <laughs> the character of Carl Weathers, Weathers <laughs> from Rocky through Arrested <laughs> Development and as the director of the Star Wars show. Uh, I wonder right. if that's part of why like Arrested Development was such a good idea because I feel like it made him much more of a sympathetic character, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, you're kind of like, oh, he's kind of an asshole in the Rocky movies, you know, or at the very least like arrogant and cocky or whatever. But then it's like, oh man, this poor guy, he's falling on some hard times. <laughs> he brings it he brings it right back down. And he has this kind of like yeah. wink and this humor to him. I think for him yeah. to to do Happy Gilmore oh, was like right. a, a huge like like tempering of the ego for him to play that character and also to mm-hmm. act with Adam Sandler playing yeah. Happy Gilmore in that. Like that was a great mm-hmm like all in the hips thing like that yeah. that is a different attitude than i'm the greatest of all time like this muhammad ali uh analog right. in apollo creed so it, it's it's just a great arc <laughs> all right back to gustavo fring i didn't yes. don't want to transition too too starkly if we had more mando stuff but it like i think we we no no the first yeah. season pretty well um yeah the boys yeah so, so, well, speaking of, of Gustavo, like just the idea that when his face is stern, he's like the scariest motherfucker I've ever seen. And then when he smiles, somehow I'm more scared. Yep. Because I'm like, I know he's smiling and he should look nice, but I feel like he's ready to fuck you up. And maybe it's that episode of, of Breaking Bad called Box Cutter. When we see why it's called Box Cutter, it's like, yep. oh God. <laughs> and that's the thing, like his introduction to in breaking bad and like you he he's invisible mm-hmm. and it's shot yes. deliberately to make him invisible oh yeah and he's so hiding in plain sight and then once you figure out that that's him it's in his face it's like calculated behind his he's this cold motherfucker back behind mm-hmm. his eyes and he just maintains that and then you you understand what what happened to his brother and Mm -hmm. what's made him this cold, ruthless ass. Well, not even asshole, just like this cold, ruthless calculating mover. And the way he just burns everything down in Mexico and, and box cutter, he's just unrelenting and so well-placed and so just calculated. And he's, he's the best villain in that show. There's a lot of villains in that show. Yeah. And the he, heroes he, are the villains. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, don't see too much of him uh, until the, the second season of The Boys, which is right. my shameless transition into the, the discussion of The Boys. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so I didn't really have a whole lot of interest. I didn't really know a lot about The Boys before I had heard you talking about it, which is obviously why I went to watch it so I could surprise you. With it. Um, <laughs> and it because there's there's no shortage of written content of what if the justice league 
went bad what if superman went bad like there's there's all of these prototypes for it and like Mm -hmm. that's what supreme is that's what uh invincible is that's what the i mean one of my favorites is the uh uh, squadron supreme yep from marvel which and there's different Mm -hmm. iterations of that i really like the the corny original and then uh, like justice written by j michael straczynski because he's my boy yeah (laughs) i i want i i have I don't know that I've read the Hyperion trade, but I have that one. I did mm-hmm. not like the Nighthawk one. That one oh, was really gosh. disturbing. I read that and then I got rid of it. I don't ever want to read that again. Uh, actually, I don't think that one's written by. That might have actually it's been not written Strig- by Garth Ennis, who isn't. That, I think that's who wrote the boys, isn't it? Isn't it Garth Ennis? I'm not sure. Maybe I, I don't know. remember. I have to look into that. I'm not uh, going to get an ID, IMDb now, but I think there right. there might be some like crossover there. Right. But so, yeah, that's that's rough. <laughs> yeah. So it's all these analogs for like the superhero Justice League. Like, what if it's ter- and one of the best ones is is the Justice League um, versus DC Universe that that iteration uh, uh, Justice League. Uh, it's not dark. What is it? Is it like the one of the alternate universe ones? Yeah, like- it's it's Tom Taylor is where or uh, spoilers for that where <laughs> Joker kills Lois Lane. And Superman kills Joker and then becomes supreme ruler of the whole world. Nice. Injustice. It's it's oh, okay. Justice right. League Injustice or DC Injustice. That universe is really good. I've read the first couple trades um, and played those games. The, the storytelling is really good in those. Um, so I, I was kind of like, oh, this is another kind of one of those. And it, 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 the first kind of, I, I guess... Uh, Brightburn is is a superhero or Superman goes bad analog. I haven't seen that movie, mm. um, but so it's kind of one of the first like long form versions of that. I, I just Prime is more difficult to get. I, I didn't have it, and then I ended up getting it for Halloween and watching horror movies and still have it. So I was like, well, let's throw this on while the thirty days is expiring. And mm-hmm. it, wow, <laughs> like. Yeah. And, and as I was watching it, I was kind of hearing this commentary about like the, the female characters not being very well written and kind of, I don't know that it's so much that. And obviously like cis white privileged man commentating on how women are written, scandal noted, privilege noted. The idea that what I watched and what I was really interested in is like how accurate the portrayal of how men are treating the women is right yeah because within the first few seconds the deep has got his dick out in front of uh, uh starlight and mm-hmm. it's just like oh this is what we're we're at it was just so quick that's within the first 10 or 15 minutes of the very first episode it's just like oh this is what this is and it, it's so interesting to see it from like this corporate america this kind of juggernaut disney conglomerate like pushed by marketing and your numbers and it, that that aspect was really interesting and something i really hadn't read or seen in any kind of like alternate justice league interpretation so i thought that was really interesting and i mean the first four minutes the dude like the flash runs through a girl <laughs> and it just it's so well places and it's so it's almost too close to home. I think that that's like the strongest argument for it. Like it, it, it's, it's good and it's cringy because it's, it's like accurate and it, it, it just feels like this is what modern day would feel like if we had superheroes, like that's 
Right. It's just they plugged them in. Nothing else changed. And it, it's it's really an interesting commentary. And it, it's like, <laughs> it's Batman's worst fear, right? Homelander is what Superman could be. And it's terrifying. Right. And that's the thing. Like, I knew going in that Homelander was bad news bears, right? Like, so I, I, I knew enough, like, that it's the Justice League and it was this interpretation and it's like that. So going in and seeing like the the Queen Maeve and their dynamic and the like jealous ex-boyfriend and having to stay closeted because you're afraid of that, like, like that was really interesting. And then the addict angle and then also like how, um, what is the speedster's name? I can't remember his name. A-Train. A-Train. Weird fucking <laughs> A-Train, like the whole like, athlete writ large and like with the partying and then the girlfriend on the side that can't really be in the the spotlight it just it, it was really really rich and really disparate and interesting and and not even like and there's a lovely little billy joel track all the way through which i fucking love <laughs> um it's it's he's one of my favorite artists of all time. And it just makes me feel very happy that that's kind of a through line. Um, Butcher is incredible. I love, I love Carl Urban in everything he's ever been in. He's in, I mean, Theoden, I, uh, uh, no, not Theoden. What is his name? Thangle or Theodrit. I can't remember what his name is. It Amor. Amor is his name in Lord of the Rings. Um, but his judge dread is incredible his uh dr mccoy (laughs) in star trek is so pitch perfect and amazing and you find that like the second you meet him in the star trek reboot he's like space is sickness wrapped in darkness and death and cold like he just he nailed that character in one line and you totally believed him going forward he's just I I love watching that man be do things. I don't care what he says, and he says a lot in this show. Like, and he's it's brutal and it's violent, and it, it you just you understand his hatred, and you know you see this darkness that's like it's perpetuating, and it's he's trying to be he's not really trying to be better. He's just trying to get to his wife, and he's going to deal with everything. What everything will be fine once that happens, and then she rejects him. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, because she sees in him, she understands like you were never going to accept my son. And it's true. It's absolutely true. She reads him so well. And I, sorry, like I, it's not really an organized thought train of thought. Just it's, it's a really incredible look at it. And you, you kind of, you empathize with the deep you don't forgive the shit that he did, but you understand that he, as this sideshow, as this like thinking you're crazy, hearing fish talk, and like seeing how humanity treats animals, like you you understand kind of the damaged nature of his psyche, and the whole uh, church cult subplot with the fresca mm-hmm. is great, just really perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you say things now because I feel like I've punched myself out a little okay. bit. It's just like it, it's it's an incredible show. Like I, I was really enjoying it. Uh, it's it's not uplifting in any sort sense at all. Like it, it's a very dark and gritty kind of. It gets you to some dark places, 
but there's enough kind of like righteous violence. I mean, what happens in, <laughs> I, I hate when like it realizes itself at the end of each season. Cause it's like, how are things okay right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> did you not see what just happened? <laughs> she was a Nazi. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, they burn her to shit. Spoilers. And I, I'm, that was yeah. such a cathartic finally. Cause that's the thing. It's also like really politically relevant of like this, like the, 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 the lie of white genocide and that whole white nationalist Nazism thing. And it just like the things that they were saying and the spewing, like the kind of Fox news, extreme right stuff was just it got under your skin and you were so frustrated. Cause it was like, this is how I felt for four years. And right. They're superheroes. It's even worse than it is now. And essentially, like, through capitalism, the people who are controlling, like, and I, I sound crazy right now, but, like, through wealth, like, super wealth is a superpower in a certain sense. Like, it, right. it's like a direct allegory that people with means so much greater than anybody else is born with are untouchable in a certain sense. And it, it's it's not even a subtle allegory it, it's direct you know so it was cathartic to see those people die yeah <laughs> yeah and, and yeah and i think one of the things you know so just to jump back a little when you were saying yeah, about how sorry. you know other things have done this no no but like you know the idea of like doing a version of the justice league like we, we still those characters still have a core they at least started from the same place we know at right. least who they are and it's these things that made them who they are so what, what I really liked about this and, you know, same thing with like Squadron Supreme is like, these are new characters invented to be, right. you know, dark mirrors of those characters. So, so like with Homelander, like we know he's supposed to be the Superman type character, but he's also, he's, he's not Kal-El, you know, right. he, he, he doesn't have the same origin that we knew Superman had, right. but then he just had one bad day and became a <laughs> like, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> tell you tell us how you really feel tim no, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's one of those things but, like, but you know it, it's he's also captain america he's he, and that i think that's a right. important distinction too it's like this nationalist yeah identity. that's a good point. yeah and it's really similar to hyperion because hyperion was raised kind of by the u.s government in, yeah. in in that version of squadron supreme whereas in this it's I mean, they inject babies. I was like, as soon as that came out, I was like, of course they inject babies. And of course, Billy yeah. Butcher is going to use laser-eyed baby to kill people. That was just like, <laughs> that absolutely. Was so fucking good. It was so good. Such a great scene. Such a great soundtrack to it. He, it just, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he gets it done. He gets it done. He really does. <laughs> the fact that they realize that, uh, uh, what's the invisible guy's name? Uh, translucent? Translucent. Yeah. That it's his skin. You just got to get inside his skin and they right. shove something up his ass and blow him to shit. Like it just, yeah. <laughs> and then fuck it. The, the uh, Batman ninja analog is just allergic to peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, here, eat an almond joy. You're going to be fucked up for a while. <laughs> it's just, it, I, I love all those little plays on like, well, what are these characters weaknesses? Things that make sense in the universe. And if you just spend enough time thinking about it, well, it's like, okay, he has to eat and swallow and digest. Those things aren't impenetrable. So just right. reverse engineer that shit. Well, and that's what I love about it too, that it's not like, you know, and I mean, they still haven't found like 
um, Homelander's weakness, you know, but, but it's not like, Oh, this rock from his planet. So you have to have this thing, you know, it's like, it's like, no, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like reverse engineering. Okay. This is how their powers work. We can do this. We can disrupt this with this, you know? And um, yeah, like it just, it, it's, it, you know, it, it kind of almost has you, you rooting for like, you know, the, the, the um, Lex Luthor, you know, like where it's like, Oh, you're, you're a genius and you don't have any superpowers, but you can think your way through this problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, I feel like that's the, not the character we should be rooting for, but the, the frame of mind we should be rooting for, you know, not like, oh, you're super strong and can punch things and invincible. So I'm just going to let you take care of my problems for me. It's like, no, it should be the person who's like, I'm going to do what I can with what I have and solve this problem in front of me, you know? And so I love that that mentality got to become what the heroes do. Like we have to figure a way out of this problem. You know, we have to outthink the superheroes, which isn't hard because they're strong, not smart, you know, (laughs) like, or at least with the, um, what's his name? Is it Nighthawk or something? I know Nighthawk is what it what it is in uh, Squadron Supreme, I think. Um, oh, Noir. Noir. <laughs> That's his name. Yes. In this. Black Noir. Yeah. His name is Black Noir. Black Noir. Yeah. <laughs> when they're talking about demographics, and they're like Black Noir's something, because <laughs> they never see his face, they just assume. <laughs> <laughs> so, so some little tidbits. Um, so, years and years ago, I read I think the first trade paperback of the comics. Um, and I remember being like, oh, this is great. You know, super, super gory, you know, super, you know, super violent, you know. Um, but one of the fun little, so one of the fun little tidbits is that in the comics, Huey looks like Simon Pegg and then he got Simon Pegg to play his dad. So like when that happened, I was just like, yes, you, 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 you satisfied the little nerd in me, not just like here, we're bringing this comic book to life. But, you know, I think by that point, Simon Simon Pegg was obviously too old to play someone that age, but it's like, oh, let's put a reference to that in there. Um, And I think that the foreword was even written by Simon Pegg, like him kind of giving the introduction to the trade of like, okay, here's this comic about a guy who looks like me, you know, who his girlfriend explodes right in front of him. He's left holding her hands, you know, um, and then in the comic at some point, Butcher goes to talk to some old guy at, at a bar. And I think it's like, I forget if this character has shown up or not, like as a different person, not as a super old guy. But I remember it's one of the, like that old guy used one of the, the two favorite phrases of like trying to have sex with a limp dick. Uh, one of them I read in a book years ago, where it's like trying to unlock a door with a wet noodle. <laughs> and this old guy in in the in the comics in in the the boys comics he said you know because i think butcher asked him like oh have you getting laid lately and he's like yeah right he's trying to shoot pool with a piece of rope <laughs> 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 and it's just like oh man like good good job guys so Lieutenant those are two Freddy. of my sort of like <laughs> yeah my sort of two tidbits from from you know back when i read the comics and everything um and, and I don't remember a lot about it, but I remember, I remember watching it and just like it kind of hitting those sort of like those sort of memory banks where it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is what you're like. I don't, I, I couldn't really picture it in my head, but like every time things would happen, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's what happened in the comics. That's how it happened. So I think there are a lot of things that are very still true to the comic, even though I can't remember it enough when it happens, it definitely triggers something where I'm like, this is very familiar. Hmm. Um, but um yeah, it's just, and, and, and it's funny too, because I'm definitely someone who, you know, grew up loving superheroes. Um, but, but yeah, like you get definitely get to that point where it's like, you know, that, that sort of disillusionment where it's like, no, this is, 
not just this is another version of of superheroes but this like yeah like you said this is what it would be like you know like someone who has absolute power does not choose to be a good person you know like like you you know you you get to go around unchecked with people like walking on eggshells around you you know like you know, you, you know, you don't make the decision to be a good person. You do what the fuck you want, you know, and then hopefully what you want aligns with most people's good, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's not just murdering everybody. And, and, and I think it's funny too, that with Homelander, that's the one thing keeping him in check is like, you know, his, his public, you know, appearance, you know, what people think of him, you know? So it's like, Oh, I, I need people to love me. You know, I can't just go on a rampage and murder everybody. Cause then people will be mad at me. You know, it's like, so that's the one thing kind of keeping him in check right now. And I, I love that, that it's something so, so, so modern, you know, it's like, oh, I need to know what my numbers are in social media. Like, you know, oh, they're making mean memes about me. I don't like that. You know, like, you know, like that's, that's sort of what he's kind of basing, basing his happiness on, you know, it's like, oh, my Instagram profile, you know, it's like, okay, you're like any other, you know, basic person out there where it's like, oh, you know, does my Instagram profile sound like me, but cooler, you know, that whole thing, you know, I, I mean, I do it too, you know, it's like, but, um, so I love that it goes from the, the macro to the micro level like that, like that he is, you know, he represents both, you know, America as this superpower where it's like, yeah, we're your friend until you piss us off and then we'll right. fuck you up. But it's also, oh, people didn't like my photo, you know, <laughs> it's right. like, it's, it's so amazing that he kind of encapsulates all of that, you know, and, um, there's a meme too, I think, I don't know if you've seen it, where it's like, you know, the way America is portrayed in movies and it shows right. the, the Henry Cavill Superman and then it's like the, you know, how America actually is and it's like Homelander like all laughing with his hair everywhere and it's just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's it, you know. I love that one, there's a, an image where it's like him holding the bright burn kid in one hand and Homelander by his American flag and Superman says, I can't help but feel responsible for you too. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the thing, like a Superman turns evil is about as 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 tired a trope as as there is, right? Like in in superhero comics, like that's the whole thing is like Superman is an impossibly good hero. That's that's kind of his thing, and that's why people don't connect with him really. Mm-hmm. Like that one of the reasons, like he's always overpowered. He doesn't really have anybody to fight with, and it, it's 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 always like, well, what if? And this is like this is how the BVS Batman like see this is the potential he sees right like he sees a Homelander as as a possibility and it's terrifying and it really right. is like it, there's nothing holding Superman back from doing that other than being a good person <laughs> like mm-hmm. and in, in many ways that's the 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 su- real superpower of it. I mean, I think it might be a Kryptonian thing, like this, this mm-hmm. supreme selflessness that does not desire power, does not have ego, does not want to dominate. It just wants to maintain and make, make earth livable, right. As, as much as possible. So it, it's just <sighs> the final sequence of fucking the, the last episode of the second season with Homelander, just, on top of the the Empire State, <laughs> I can do whatever yeah. I want. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, no no sequence more perfectly encapsulates that character at its worst. It it, it just great, and it was just like 
I was like, ah, yes, that's that's exactly how he sees the world. And mm-hmm. he's got this this weird kind of impotence with like his his incestuous desire for a mother and mm-hmm. like almost to the point that he makes a shapeshifter act like the the mother he killed the the mother figure that he killed right it's really odd and then he finds a an elder woman who's also a nazi and they, that her whole nationalistic stick totally resonates with him and she he grabs her to make out with her rather like you don't know in that moment whether he's going to crush her skull or or accept her and it's just like of course like that that only serves to benefit him right like that's his brand is nationalism is, is us yeah. versus them it, it's just i was really fascinated with the christy like the de- 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 depiction of christianity in it because mm-hmm. that's something that kind of gets glossed over with comic book characters right like there's not really right I mean, Daredevil's about as close as you get to kind of like a commentary mm-hmm. on like Catholicism, right? Because he's always, but it's always yeah. like an internal struggle. It's not really kind of how, what does religion look like with Silver Surfer and Galactus and, and like these right. huge or apocalypse and dark side. Like there, there doesn't really, they don't really portray that really. So I thought it was really interesting to have like you have super christian heroes and this kind of like thinking it's it's a way of of putting (laughs) angels or 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 people who act in in god's name on the earth to to inject them with the 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 serum um compound v i guess it's called Um, yeah i just thought that was really interesting kind of like the hypocrisy and showing a hero kind of lose her faith and 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 realize these kind of lies you know kind of allegorical more exaggerated way of like realizing that what your parents told you wasn't true and trying to find find your road to morality and why you're doing the things that you're doing kind of not blindly following a religion or or a a doctrine that was you were indoctrinated with i thought that was really an interesting thing and they did it pretty quickly like i thought that was really interesting and really cool as a, as an aspect to kind of the superhero mythos that I, you don't really interact with too much, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite uh, recent Daredevil issues was uh, Murdoch playing chess with um, uh, Reed Richards and talking about a belief in belief in God, and it's I I'm always a sucker for like two heroes just talking casually about big things. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things of like there's a flash superman conversation where they're talking about like taking away guns from humanity and what at what point do you are you taking away free will is it even effective at that point um mm. but they, they're talking about like the existence of god and reed is like well if if there is a god i, I think I, I met him like in this cosmic <laughs> like the equivalent or the allegory or the metaphor for like religion in the universe exists. Like, I mean, he's, he's had the infinity gauntlet. He's seen multiple cosmoses and, and he just knows everything except how to be a decent human being. Um, that, right. that's yeah. And it's just really yeah. interesting that commentary because it, it, it comes down to, well, what are you believing for? What, what value does your faith have? 
is is it mm. making you act i mean where are the motivations is it steeped in fear all of those things but like are you acting in the world as a better person as a result of it then it's useful i i just really i'm butchering it it's a really beautifully written kind of sequence between the two of them i i just that that kind of frank discussion of what it it would feel like especially like humans in a world of superhumans is terrifying and like what does faith look like like you, there's literally supermen <laughs> how do you feel about like your place in the universe why right. does god like them more like that that whole all of those things become elevated and so often we have i mean tomes of stuff on superheroes where there's no real acknowledgement of Christianity other than like funeral services for a, a superhero that's going to come back the next issue. Right. Like that's about right. as much religion as we get. So it just, that was really interesting and kind of fresh. And I, I liked that. I also liked how it still kept it grounded where that one, like when they had that big conference or whatever, the festival, they had that one, like the, the superhero who's like stretchy, yeah, you know, and it's like they go to that club and they see that he's gay, and it's still like, yeah, like you could be the greatest superhero in the world, but if they find out you're gay, you're going to lose everything, you know. Right. So it's like, no matter how good you are, you know, you still better not do these things that we, for some reason, find you know uh, are against our code, you know, or you're blacklisted. You know, doesn't matter how good of a hero you are, what you're doing, it doesn't matter how many people you're bringing, you know, into the fold. You know, if we find out this one thing about you, like, okay, that's it, you're done, you know, and and how how that was used to like blackmail him and all that stuff. And it's just like, you know, shit, like you would think that if it's like things had been taken to that next level, you know, people would be less petty, like, oh, we have superheroes in this world. Okay, maybe we don't have to care who who people are having sex with, you know, like on their own time and, and, you know make it this thing that like oh no in this day and age you know no matter what the world is even with superheroes you better not be gay you know and it's like right. yeah it's like it's, it's it's so it's nice to kind of like bring those things back home and be like yep it's still remember yeah this isn't the dc universe this is still your world it just happens to have superheroes in it and this most of the superheroes are also shitty <laughs> yeah it was also interesting with mave being bisexual and the idea that like mm for optics sake you have to be packaged as completely lesbian and it was just like right. it's so accurate to like how bisexuals are seen by everybody right like that's that's such a a a damaging uh portrayal of identity that you can only be straight or gay there's no like that's that's a huge right. problem and it just i i really appreciated them portraying that because it's accurate and you can only feel for Maeve. Maeve is this really complicated character and, and, and twisted and, and like twisted up in the knots by having to protect somebody that she loves and uh, an identity and having to like be passive in, and I not even be pat, but just like to protect herself and the people that she cares about, not, do what she would really like to do, which is try and kill Homelander. Like right. that, that whole, the plane going down thing was heartbreaking and, yeah. and so, so well done. And such a, like you, you were getting, you kind of get more and more examples of Homelander being an awful person. And then that's really like just the, the final straw is like irredeemable. 
to quote another yeah. a version of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. He, he just, there's nothing, <clears throat> there's no justification for that. Like, I, I did like in that sequence, he's like, what, I'm going to lift the plane against what? There's nothing to push up against. I liked that, right, guy, like yeah. the acknowledging the physics of the situation, which is something you never right. see. Superman can always yeah. go out and push the plane up. Like it, it that's always a thing. Right. So you can it, always save the day. Yeah. Right. And that not even trying. And that's the thing. We always see Superman try. If he fails, yeah. we understand because we saw him try. This was mm. what I'm going to fly 17 times. That's no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's part of it too. Like also the idea that like I would rather not try and have people not see me fail, right? Than try and fail for the sake of saving these people. Again, it's it's about his PR. It's about you know, and 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 that's one of the things I love about that scene too. Like it's not like he was like, oh, this is what has to be done. Like he was he was bored with the situation. He's like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like I'm I'm done. You know, like completely just like shut off from what was happening. And like, you know, I feel like it does a great job of kind of showing you know like yeah how these you know, people who have the power, they're kind of like, oh, I, I can't be bothered with all these people who are going to die because of my inaction slash inaction. Like I have other, I have better things to do, you know, like, and it's just like, yep, that there, there it is, you know, like, and that, that's one of the things I really loved about the show too, is it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like, there was the situation he was in and like the choices he would make, but also the the motivation for that choice, like how, how disconnected he is, you know, um, and actually for a while, and I, I forget if they kind of revealed this or not, but but one of my theories is that, and I, I, I could be completely way off, and again, they may have already disproven this, but when they started talking about like Compound V and where it came from and this, this, and that, um, part of me was thinking, and I can't remember if this is something I read in the comic books, but I think like my theory is that Compound V is like his blood. and they're, you, Like he was actually an alien, you know, like with Superman, and they're using him to manufacture more superheroes, um, which I feel like when they came out with the whole thing with the, the, you know, the, the woman who was a Nazi, I was like, oh, okay, that might blow that out of the water, but we don't know how old Homelander is. He could also be super old too, you know? Right. Um, so that was sort of my theory and why he's so different. Cause I feel like a lot of the other characters are shitty, but in a more human down to earth, believable way. Right. Um, whereas him, it's like, again, it's this extreme detachment, which could also be just associated with his power level, you know, right. you know, when you, you know, when you are omnipotent, you are going to have a God level disassociation from human beings, you right. know, as opposed to like, well, I can run really fast. So, you know, again, it's like an athlete, you know, right. okay, I'm a good athlete, but I'm still a person and that may go to my head and I may be an asshole, but I can't kill the entire planet, you know, right. whereas when you line... get to Homelander, you're go ahead. Sorry. No, you, yeah, you're just, you're getting to that sort of like world leader level of like, yeah, like I could in a heartbeat, like destroy the world, you know? And it's like, okay, this is why we're afraid of you, you know? And, and, and we think you might do it too, because if you did, you, you probably wouldn't be sad about it, you know, like you would feel justified in it, you know? And I like that line. He says like, why are we wasting our time on these mud people? Like, yeah. Which is like how, how, a god would and that's the thing he, he's he's got literally a god complex he, he refers to yeah. himself and his son as gods mm-hmm. and it, it's it's this thing where that's another thing like if he's an alien then his son is the first natural born superhero but also an alien half alien mm-hmm. which is really interesting that was really hard too. the the like 
to be forced to carry the child of the person who raped you, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awful. To be raped by Superman. Oh right. my God. And then like she was safe, insulated. She had to do, de- and she, she, I mean, gave birth to a son who she loves and cares about as a mother, but to also have him come back and in her right. fate, like, I think she played that it's Beth, right? Beth is the name of the character. Uh, I think so. I need to look, I should, obviously she's the motivation for the whole fucking show. I, we should know the name. Right. Of yeah. Character. Why do I think it's Rachel? It's not Rachel, but I'm pretty sure. Rebecca. Yeah. I think it's Becca. That, that sounds right. I feel Becca. like I can yeah, hear Becca butcher. Becca. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of course, course, alliteration. Duh. Yeah. It, yeah. Billy Butcher. Um, and it's just, she plays it perfectly. That that frustration, that anger, that that protectiveness, but also like, yeah. she, she, to be made a victim by Superman mm. is just so awful. I mean, it, just in general, to like be made a victim in that way, and it is awful. But like to 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 have it be, you that situation is already makes you feel powerless. Makes you feel just it it creates this victim complex. And it, it, depending on, I don't, I, I'm very much speaking out of turn, having never experienced this or like, but you just that portrayal and the writing of that character was so good at exemplifying what had happened and how she had to act in the world. And it it just was really compelling. And every time she had to deal with Homelander, I was like, this guy deserves to die. And she deserves to be the one to put the stake through his heart. Like there there's, yeah. And it's, with her son and you kind of understand like the way that she's trying to insulate him. It, it's not right, but it also is better than being raised in a box by doctors in lab coats. Like, and, mm-hmm. and he ends up being responsible for her death, which is really cruel and not in, and that whole dynamic with Billy, like how is that going to work going forward? It, it's just, and that's the thing. Billy keeps like, Billy's a great archetype for that like irredeemable asshole that you like. You know, like mm-hmm. he he keeps just doing enough to endear himself, and then he undermines it. And it, like, it just I think yeah. Urban's a great person to portray that because he's likable. He, he's 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 a likable yeah. asshole. Like, and it, it's this this zealot like hatred. Of, it's 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 intolerance it's prejudice it, it, it's it's xenophobic essentially but you kind of like you understand his character because they're super powered and there's no checks and balances there's nothing to keep them in check yeah so he ha- he has nothing to lose so he he he's the one to slam up against it constantly yeah it definitely is very much like you know they're all in an abusive relationship with butcher where it's like you said he'll give just enough to kind of pull them back but then he'll just like fuck up even worse the next time. And it's like, 
you know, you kind of go along with it. And I think there's also a, you know, a degree of like greater good in there too, where it's like, yeah, like butcher's an asshole, but he's the only one who can get the job done. And this job needs to be done because these superheroes are fucking running wild. So it's like, we're going to let him do his thing, but yeah, you almost wonder if there's going to be like an old yeller moment where it's like, okay, butcher, like you killed all the superheroes for us. Let's go out in the backyard now. Like, you know, we yeah. can't let you just go on with your life, you know, right. and, and maybe he'd be fine with that at this point where it's just like, you know, there's nothing left for me. I've killed all the superheroes. I got my revenge, you know, like I can't be with my wife because she's gone. Might as well put a bullet in me, you know? Right. You know, I guess at least in that way, he's con- he would be consistent, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. like, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, what, yeah. Like, what do you expect to happen now? You know, it's also interesting, like the sense that it, it feels very real in that the humans they keep having plans but it doesn't matter what they do shit gets mm. fucked up like and it you kind of get you get fatigued with like okay we're gonna do this thing maybe this will get us a little bit further and then just deus ex machina the other way comes in like it's it's literally like a superhero right like the evil plan mm-hmm. to defeat the superhero is foiled at the last minute by the superhero which I'm just realizing is like a really great inversion of that is like, obviously, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, we were so close and they pulled it out right at the last minute. Like superheroes do. That's perfect. Like, never mind. I'm not, I wasn't right. even going to finish that thought. <laughs> like what I was saying is like, it didn't, I wasn't frustrated after a certain set point. Cause like, that's how it would feel being a human trying to, to, to take these guys down. There's like, no, you you're not gaining any ground. You can't, right? Because they see everything. They're super fast. They're, they're, everybody's on their side, and I mean the 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 reveal that the the senator the um, Cortez analog oh, yeah. is is head exploding mm-hmm. woman. Another head exploding woman. It's terrifying, just brilliant and terrifying. Yeah. She kills the cult leader like, no no problem. Yep, you're like, done. Yeah. Well, what I love about that too is you're like, oh no, is she bad? And it's like, well, wait a minute. The, most of the people she's killing, but then it's like, oh, but she kind of stopped that whole court case. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of like, is is she really out to tear down Vaught for good, or is she more just out for herself to get power? So I feel like, yeah, it's kind of cool. You don't, you don't really know what her intentions are. Um, and I love that moment too with Huey, where she's like, "Oh, you know, what can I do with you do for you?" And he's like, "Oh, there's one thing you can do." And you can see her kind of be like, "Am I going to have to blow up this motherfucker's head too?" And he's like, "Oh, you can give you a job." Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, all right, yeah. And then <laughs> like, she's I, like I right hooked actually. into it. Yeah, it, it's just yeah. and Gustavo didn't lose his head; he's still around. Right. So it's like, yeah. are they like? Is that a, a a plant? Is it like trying to get you're on the inside? And now we know this angle. Yeah. Like it just. It's great. It's really, and it, at the end, it's kind of like reset to zero and Homelander's okay in everybody's eyes and Maeve and Starlight are on the seven. And then, right. Yeah. I don't they're know. Safe for now. Right. And it's great. Like it just really, and there's a thing, like I, I now feel content to wait for the next season. Cause it's kind of like back to this, this neutral, it, it, there was that dramatic reveal of like, okay, that's the next big bad. That's the next thing we're going to have to cope with. But, it it, hmm. it just felt like because i mean again right before the credits it's it's homelander just over the cityscape and it's just like yep that's exactly that's kind of the, that's the kind of impotence that he he feels right like, like he doesn't he has all this power but doesn't use it 
some of the greatest scenes are his cathartic fantasies of like melting down everybody in his way. Oh God. Yeah. When he cut through the crowd, I was like, Holy shit. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this, this is a dream sequence. You kind of like, you can't suspend your disbelief through it, but it's just like how you almost want him to do it. Like, cause then he could be the villain and then it would be less nuanced. You know, it would feel less like yeah. shades of gray. Right. But it's accurate. Like that's how mo- real monsters in the real world are, right? Like right. they are human. Yeah, they they have origin stories and they have things that make them the way that they are, and they they've made yeah. choices and stuff. And it's it's yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, I I think I have a a rather hackneyed transition into a great ideas that <clears throat> don't go anywhere segment, which I'll probably put okay. right here. And now it's time for great ideas that go absolutely nowhere. So you and I discussed writing a, an X-Men uh, series. Oh, okay. In yeah. which Professor X essentially is a Bill Cosby analog. And he's used his telekinetic powers to wipe people's memories and influence them and make it so that they can't testify against him or or anything so we kind of established like professor x dies and all of these people have these repressed memories come back up and it's this he's this monster because essentially bill cosby was this huge father figure in america this great um advocate for civil rights and and all these things in the same way that i mean professor x and the x-men are a analog for the civil rights movement that's that's what the mutants represent so what, and it, it was an idea that we came up with and we both kind of w- walked away sick to our stomachs because it was such a good but twisted <laughs> idea. And it wasn't something that- Yeah, it's like, I want to write that story, but I don't want to read that story. <laughs> right. And we were talking about like, kind of who would remember who, who, who um, Professor X would have um, taken advantage of who would have been a we were talking about gene gray might have like been aware of it and had to keep it secret because the the good done outweighed the the bad done we were we were discussing all these kind of like one shots within these different like death of x i think is what we were kind of calling it the but or death of xavier and kind of these one shots yeah yeah yeah, well, the one I like because there there are have been series like Wolverine: The End and yeah. Fantastic Four: The End, which yeah. is like the last Wolverine, you know. So, right. so that was kind of my thing is like you know it'd be Xavier: The End. So not just referring to his death, but like the the end of his legacy, you know, and you know not just telling the story of how he died, but the aftermath of that that just kind of tears down everything that he built. Yeah. So obviously, th- this is an idea that goes nowhere because we don't own those IPs. It's really really dark for Marvel that is now owned by Disney. And all of those reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's another good point. <laughs> but I found out that within the boys universe, there is a X-Men team analog called the G-Men. And within the boys universe, the leader of the G-Men is a child molester and molests the team. So it already exists, essentially. <laughs> no ideas are new and it's going even further nowhere. But it was just like... I I was kind of dis- disappointed is a weird adjective to use describing this feeling about this terrible right. story idea we had. Terrible, not in content, but <laughs> or not not in the idea that it would be a good story in a way of telling it, but like bad content wise because it's terrifying. 
and awful. But it was it was a relief to realize that somebody else had already written it, <laughs> and I don't have to now. <laughs> and right. I, <laughs> it, it's it's definitely like a different analog, and it's like it's it's child betrayal and, and child molestation. In that, this is an odd topic for us to be talking about now. Um, but it, it was it was interesting to hear. I haven't read it. I'm kind of interested to see how it plays out. Um, but it, it was it was kind of cathartic to think, okay, something like that exists in the universe and I don't have to have my name underneath it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and, and I think the, the important thing to point out is it's not that we were excited about the idea of writing a story about no, that. It was the idea of, 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 you know, I mean, it's something that happens in real life that people in power get away with this all the time. Right. And a way of, you know, through the metaphor of these characters, you know, shedding light on that and, and how people, how different people deal with it, you know, Um, like, like, for example, I, I, it's been a while and I may get some of this wrong, but I remember a while ago before I kind of finally gave up on him, uh, Dave Chappelle had one of his stands up, stand ups on Netflix. And he was telling something about what if there was a superhero who did a bunch of good, but before he did good, he had to rape somebody, you know, isn't it worth having a little bit of raping to do so much good. And then basically turned around as he was referring to Bill Cosby the whole time. And it's like, like, like almost like kind of justifying it. And so it's, it's, it's so fucked up to see that there are people who will, yeah, but he did this and this and this. And it's like, okay, like the good things that are in the world, it's still good that those things happened but it's, it's not an excuse and it's not something that you get to forgive the bad things because of the good that they did. You know, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, like for example, if Bill Cosby had built a children's hospital, you don't have to tear down the children's hospital, but you take his fucking name off of it. Right. You know, like he doesn't get to be honored for something like that. And I'm sure it's good that there are a bunch of kids that are alive, but fuck him, you know, at the end of the day, fuck him. You know, that's what it comes down to. And, and, and I think, you know, for me, that's, I think what we wanted to explore with the Xavier thing right. is like, you know, fuck him. You know, if he did something like this, it doesn't matter what good you did. Like you, you did so much ruin and that's what your legacy is, you know? And I think the other thing was like, I thought it was a really rich potential for telling that story in a way that would be accessible to to everybody, right? Like the the idea that right. like the X Men have always been this allegorical tool, and what mm-hmm. better time and how better to process these kind of feelings? Because that's the thing. Like Cosby was a a huge influence on a whole lot of people like and to unpack i always hate when people say unpack feelings about things but like (laughs) to 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 really explore how that would feel the closest analog in fiction is xavier like this Mm -hmm. great man this leader of a team who's working towards the betterment of like on this one side and then if that character has this dark secret and is is this private evil and that's exposed like i thought it was just a great analog to be able to process that how that feels because that's the thing people were talking about cosby as an influence and then feeling gutted because it's no longer what they they thought of him is no longer it doesn't match up with what he was I think we're constantly going through that, like 
as we're like with the Me Too movement and and learning more about how people are shitty and and just awful people, you 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 get more and more of these examples where well, I was really inspired by this person. I was really and it it doesn't redeem them at all, mm. and it's the whole kind of separation of art and and an artist, and that's a really complex, really difficult line to tread and it, it's some people say throw all of it out because it it was made by a monster and i'm not the one to say that's wrong because it, it's it, they don't deserve notoriety they don't deserve fame they don't deserve to profit when they use their position of power to hurt people right. take advantage of people that but as there's not really any anything like as popular or as as um with as big a reach as X-Men that really is telling those stories or, or is a way of processing that narrative. And I, that was what was so unique about it and why it, mm -hmm. it, it felt like it needed to exist was the <clears throat> idea that we need an analog for this. We need to be able to explore how all these people feel about it and not in a way that like, the characters of the X-Men are so diverse and so disparate that you could have each one have a different opinion on it and not really judge that like they, they can all have their complicated feelings with it and their memories. And, and that would be a way to navigate it. It just feel, felt like a, a good um, sandbox to play with that idea of, mm -hmm. of the, the father figure, the, the influential, powerful, innovator who completely abused his position of power and sexually abused the people around him it, it just it just it's such a and that's the thing i i think sometimes characters who are meant to be allegorical are only used to a point there, there's there's a, a way like we're only going to use the X-Men to talk about the civil rights movement in this abstract sense. Right. And I think that's a disservice to the characters mm -hmm. because, I mean, they're they're powerful for the 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 allegory that they were. But when that allegory needs to be more complex and the issues become more intricate there's a way to use them in that way too. And I, I think that that was the thought experiment. That was the stretching uh, of, of the, the power. Like, and that's the thing. Comics are powerful. Mm -hmm. Characters, archetypes are powerful um, a, a, as a way of processing and, and expressing how things feel. And I, I just, that was what was so cool about this idea was that mm -hmm. it was a way to express that kind of orphan feeling. I, I don't even, I, I can't really speak to it all that much. I, I wasn't really a big Cosby comedy fan. I, I was fans of people he inspired and, but I, I'm not a person of color, like him being on a TV show and having fat Albert and all of these things. Like he was just a huge part of the, the normalization or like having people of color in the media as, as not a, a, a novelty as like natural. And so like, yeah, it just, 
it feels like somebody needs to tell that story. And that's the other thing is like, it went nowhere. I don't know that we're the people to tell that story. That's the other thing is like, we can't tell the story because <laughs> we don't own the OP, but it's right. also like, is, is our perspective on it nuanced enough to do it justice, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the things maybe, and maybe it was this or another project that we talked about kind of doing, doing some research and, you know, reaching out to people. So it's like, well, we want your stories to be told. Yeah. Like, here's kind of the idea we have for this. Um, you know, so I think that would have been part of it too, is to not just be like, you know, Hey, yeah, like here's two white guys view on the world kind of thing, but like, okay, like, you know, reaching out to people and being like, you know, using our quote unquote power, you know, it's not like we're figureheads who have all the, you know, this, this audience, you know, but like, you know, Hey, you know, people tend like, was, I think Patrick Stewart had said, you know, you know, people only listen to old white guys and I'm an old white guy. So I'm going to say what needs to be said. You know, he spoke about uh, domestic violence because I think his mother was a victim of domestic violence, you know, and, right. and that's why he's using his voice to talk about it, even though he wasn't the, the physical victim, but because people don't listen to women about domestic violence. So him being an old white man, they'll listen to me because I'm who people listen to. So I will talk to you about domestic violence. So, so I think there's, you know, there's no harm in that and kind of using, you know, if you can acknowledge this privileged position and be like, well, I'm going to use this to get the word out, you know? Um, But again, I guess, yeah, like really feeling like you're representing the, the, the stories and the, the, the voices and not doing a disservice and not doing more damage than, than you're doing. Um, and, and also, you know, I, I think this is kind of back to the whole, like, Bill Cosby part of it, too, is, like, I think, I don't know if we, if we thought about this then, but one of the things I was thinking about now is, you know, I also wanted to kind of, you know, one of the things to explore is, like, just because Xavier did those things, it doesn't mean that Magneto was right all along right. about mutants should not coexist with humans. You know, it, right. it, it, if a terrible person is saying something that is true, once you find out they're a terrible person, it doesn't mean everything they said is wrong and we have right. to do the opposite, you know, right. um, but it doesn't have to be attributed to him. So, so kind of exploring that aspect of it where, you know, does some, some of the X-Men have a crisis where I guess I have to go follow Magneto now. And it's like, no, it doesn't mean that, you know, everything he fought for was, was wrong and we should throw away. But yeah, again, like he doesn't get to, you know, and, and, and I think that was one of the things that the way I was thinking about ending the whole thing is that, you know, you're kind of finding out about what happened with a lot of the, the other X-Men and it finally gets to, I think the last episode issue, I think I was thinking it would be like Scott and Jean, you know, kind of telling their story. And I remember that the kind of twists we had to that was that, you know, I, I think we were, you, you were supposed to kind of assume that, you know, uh, that Jean was one of the victims, but turns out he never touched her because he's like, hey, she's a powerful telepath. I don't know that I can wipe her mind. And, you know, when she kind of has the realization, it's not her own memories, it's she's experiencing everyone else's memories because she's a telepath. And the other twist I think we talked about was that Scott actually does remember it, but he's such a follower of Xavier that he was like, this can't get out because this will ruin everything that he fought for. So that Scott's decision was to kind of put it in a box on his own and maintain the dream 
And then, you know, Gene kind of confronts about that. And it's like, no, we like, we, we can't do this. And, and, you know, that was kind of like in, in the story, a way of saying, oh, this is how I know, I think in the comics now, like it's become the Jean Grey school for right. gifted youngsters. But I think that's when, after she died as the Phoenix, but this was sort of our ter- our version of this is why it's called the Jean Grey school now, because she takes over because fuck Xavier's name. We're getting it off of right. it. Scott, fuck you, because you knew this was going on and you let it happen you know, and so that it's like, you know, there are multiple levels of monsters within this thing, you know, like the fact that, that, that Scott was so like, oh, well, you know, this is going to happen and it's going to continue and I'm aware of it happening, but I'm going to choose to not say anything, you know, and, you know, kind of, you know, putting that to, you know, I'm sure again, you know, with, you know, systems of power where there are people with power who are, you know, molesting children and then there are other people within that system that know about it and they're turning a blind eye because our system has to maintain you know which could be applied to many things i'm not going to call out one of them because then i feel like i'm not calling out the others um so if you're wondering is he talking about me yes i am you know (laughs) but it's not just one of you it's all of you you know um you know so so i think you know that that's part of it too is that you know there there are lesser monsters you know are people who who will sort of go along with this horrible thing and say, oh, but it's justified by this. And to, to kind of turn around and be like, no, you're wrong. Like this does not justify what was being done. It does not excuse it, you know? And so to have that conversation, especially between those two characters, you know, I mean, they've had their issues, but, you know, again, we'd ideally be telling this story as an Elseworlds, you know, alternate reality thing where they're still a loving couple and it, it splits them up, you know, because it's yeah. just like, this is fucked up, Scott, you know? And, you know, where Gene, you know, it wasn't maybe, and that's maybe part of it too. Maybe if Gene had been a victim, that would have been enough to wake Scott, Scott up out of it. But the fact that he thought all the other X-Men were expendable, as long as he doesn't touch Gene, you know, or maybe that's a deal he made with Xavier. Like, oh, I won't yeah. tell as long as you don't touch, you know. So again, like there were, I think there were all these levels we could explore of how people will justify horrible things and, and, and continue to put people up on pedestals and that that needs to be acknowledged too you know again it's not just about this one monster doing a bad thing but it's all the people who also let it happen and didn't say anything or or actively you know try to uh you know not let it get out and things like that so so yeah so i think there were you know it wasn't it was also kind of exploring you know uh, uh all of the stuff on the periphery of that and how it's allowed to to continue to happen you know um you know, so I think, you know, and, and, and I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Like, I think we both felt sick about it, but it's also, I think uh, ideally it was also about the recovery portion of it. You right. know, how do we, how do we heal what, from what this? Now? How do we try to yeah. make it right? Yeah. And, you know, and that's why it starts with his death. You know, we're not dealing with a storyline where it's actually happening. It's, it's like, this has already happened. Yeah. How do we, how do we try to make to have justice for this thing you know um so i think that was you know and again all this could just be like oh i'm gonna make myself feel better by changing this perspective but but you know that's the thing like no one wants to tell this story just like no one wants this to happen in real life but it does happen in real life and and they're they're you know we have to deal with it and it's a conversation you know that does have to happen like what do we do with these people who who may have done some good but have also done really fucked up things and and, you know, and for some reason that is a conversation where there are two sides of it, you know, and I think yeah. that's why these stories have to be written to kind of be like, look what an asshole you sound like, you know? Um, and I think that was part of it too, to kind of use Scott as this scapegoat of like, you you represent all these people who are, are, are sticking up for these people and letting this stuff continue to happen, you know, like, 
you know, if you had known about that, if you, you knew about this, you could have stopped it way earlier than, than it did, you know, and you know, that there's that, that guilt that goes with them too. And that, you know, and I think that's a lot of what, um, I don't want to say good metaphors because this is also, you know, this could be, you know, subjective in terms of my opinions, but like, you know, that's why we have heroes and villains. It's whoever's writing the story is giving the villain the attributes of the things that that writer thinks are, are evil and shouldn't, shouldn't be in the world and that the hero is there to try to stop, you know? So, so I think that was the thing in our story is to kind of have that perspective of like, no, you, you know, you should not be sticking up for this guy. If you call yourself a hero, but you're sticking up for this guy, like you are not a hero, you are the villain. And by the end of this story, you're going to be kicked out on your ass, you know? And it's an extension um, of that. Like your, your faves are problematic, right? Like it, it's the nth degree of that. Your heroes are flawed. Like, right. and that, and I think another thing with the, the larger kind of civil rights allegory is like, because the, the, relationship between humanity and mutants has always been so contemptuous that was another perspective that i just was thinking about now which would be a great thing like oh your your poster boy for the mutant cause is a monster and then you you reignite that prejudice for mutants they're all monsters they were all complicit they all and it, it just because it's not just a a it's not just a house fire it, it 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 has spread and it's every aspect of the mutants in america and that's how like that's how racists would have saw uh cosby right like look at your hero now right you know and it it, it just it, it it works on all these levels it, i think it, again it's it's a ripe ground for or telling that kind of story i i was I'm wanting <sighs> as you were talking about Scott, I was thinking um, the, I was wanting to kind of dial it back as like, maybe he only thought it was happening to him, but the way you were talking about it is like at just stand being a stand in for the religious officials who stand by and let things happen. Right. I gave it a name. Sorry. You didn't uh, <laughs> like it, it just that, that works so much and it bites harder, you know, it, it's, it, and that's accurate. That's life. That's what's actually right. happened. And I, I had an impulse like, Oh, let's, let's not make Cyclops a bad guy. And I'm like, well, if we're throwing Xavier down, let, let, I mean, let again, I letting the, the allegory be as powerful and as specific as it can be. I, I think that was, that was good. So this was a really dark one. I, I didn't really <laughs> expect to go, I mean, I wanted to talk about, we, we also hadn't talked about the story idea in a long time. I think it, it's, yeah. and we went super political and I think that's, that's good. I'm trying not, not to apologize for being political anymore because that's how you get four years of what's happened. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, I think the difference too, like, I, I also feel like I like to make the distinction between, you know, what's political, you know, like I, I saw, you know, I, I saw a good post about this, like being political is talking about, well, what percentage of my taxes are going to pay to fix roads, right. but human rights is not a political issue, you yeah. know, like, you know, like, like sexual abuse is not a political issue, Absolutely. you know, and, and I think that's the important thing is like making those distinctions, like I'm not being political, I'm talking about fucked up shit that in any universe should not happen, but right. somehow gets allowed because the people in power decide, oh, you're just being too PC about this whole thing. It's like, no, fuck you, man, this shouldn't exist. Right in the world and you're a piece of fucking garbage if you think that there's any sort of leeway on that you know yeah. 
so so yes yeah, so I, I i wouldn't have considered it political because it's just yeah it's it's like this is you know you know yeah the people who should have rights should have rights and and you know and and i know it's not the same thing as you know talking about you know uh you know racial or gender equality and things like that but you know uh, you know i feel like it falls in that same category of like this isn't my opinion that this stuff shouldn't right. happen you know and it's like it just you know, oh well it's, it's, yeah, yeah yeah the link is the boys had in in right. that fucked up universe yeah. with fucked up superheroes they had a fucked up x-men and I, yeah. it, 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 it lent itself really naturally to us discussing it. So I, yeah. I, I make no well, apology. No, and, I, <laughs> yeah, and I liked it. I liked that we got to revisit it, you know, and, you know, especially because like you said, we don't, we don't own the rights. So it's like, there's no way to actually write it. You know, I mean, I guess we could do fan fiction. I think people do get away with that. You know, they're not sued, but, but, you know, still it's like, how much money do you spend like crafting this thing to kind of just have it sit somewhere and, you know, not actually be, you know, be used, you know, it's, I feel like you have to, you have to be, you know, choosy about your time. You know, it's like, I'll spend the time working on a creative project that could go somewhere and not have someone be like, yeah, we're not doing that. This was a waste of your time. Get out of here. You know? Um, but then I mean, again, there's the hope someone listens to this podcast and like, Oh, I work at Marvel. That's a great idea. We're going to hire you. <laughs> That's the thing. We'll write it. I yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. if we have to, if we're like, but it's yeah. also like, we, we've always, we've talked about being creative. It's like, it's, it's hard to work so hard to create things that you don't own that, that, that cannot succeed outside of you acquiring rights or, or having like when, when you, and that's the thing, like fan fiction has its place. I, I mean, I do it up in my head all the time. Like what would, how cool would it be if Moon Knight met uh, Jane Foster Thor? I literally wrote that (laughs) as an exchange. Like, and I, I, it has its place and there's fan communities and they get to kind of exchange ideas in that way. But it, it's like, I always, there's enough of a consumer in me that I want like to package it and sell it. Like I want it to, to go somewhere. I don't want it to just live in my head. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and maybe the purpose of this too, it's, it's kind of interesting that maybe we've kind of answered the question ourselves, you know, is like, you know, people who write these stories where they, you know, create a character who, who is supposed to be an analog of Superman, it's not Superman. So you can do whatever the hell you want with him as long as he's not actually Superman. So, you know, and, and, and like you said, like in that universe, there's a version of the X-Men who are not the X-Men. So you can do what you want with them. So maybe that's our thing is like, we're going to get really close to what this character is so that, you know, like wink, wink, but, oh, it's not technically that person. So you can't sue us, you know? Yeah. Then again, maybe getting sued would be a lot of good press, you know, because it's like, oh, these people wrote this story and it pissed them off, so they sued them. Maybe it's a good story. Maybe I should check it out. (laughs) (laughs) No, all press is good press. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Real quick about the boys. How perfectly cast is Homelander? Oh, God, yeah. That dude is so perfect. Yeah, it's like I've never seen him before. I don't know what else he's been in, but it's just like... He's Australian. Okay. <laughs> He's on that show, Andy Donna. I don't know if you've seen that on uh, uh, Netflix. They're this Australian oh, sketch that. comedy group, and they're hilarious. I, I oh, okay. wholeheartedly recommend it. I haven't finished it yet. I've been kind of like saving it, but it, it's like it's like Aussie modern Monty Python, like oh, okay, with no blackface and no racial slurs. So right. all good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I learned about because I all of most of the podcasts I listen to are Australia based. So 
all of the podcasters I know know the anti Donna guys. So like, gotcha. I, I found out about it. Like they're they're just great. But he's he's in it. He was he was uh, he guest appeared in it. It's great. Nice. It's so weird to hear him have an Australian accent yeah. after watching him play. <laughs> The well, most... That's how I felt about Hugh Jackman. Like I saw him in one right. of the, the first X-Men movies, like one of the first like deleted, I mean uh behind the scenes thing. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very very shocking. Yeah. Well, it was interesting that uh um oh forgetting Billy Butcher. Why am I forgetting uh, Carl Urban? Yeah. Carl Urban is British. Okay. I always wondered. Yeah, like so I never like I mean, he speaks like the the Lord of the Rings English accent in in that, but Bones is American and Dread is essentially American, even though twenty one A D is a British property, which is really interesting. But it was just like really interesting to hear him with a British accent. It just it felt right, like it just <laughs> just wrapped around in that beard, like that accent and th- those yeah. uh, uh, curse words coming out of his mouth were just like this feels like home. This this is where he yeah. belongs. So, so is, is that a Cockney accent? Like, I feel like I've heard that referred to and I, I've, I've heard a yes. few people and I, I, yeah, so I can't quite distinguish like what, what is meant by Cockney and like what's, but you know. Cockney is like a London specific yeah. accent. So like Russell Brand and like um, our, um, Alfred in Gotham. Were those also like Cockney accents? Yes. yes. Okay it's always kind of portrayed as kind of like this lower class in quotation marks. Like when it's portrayed in, in movies, it's, it's kind of like the working man's accent. It's not okay. received English. It's not the queen's English, like the BBC, right. um, like the, the golden era of BBC. Um, right. Kind of. And it's, it's different from Yorkshire, which is the North. And I always get messed up because English, the, the North is where the farms are and the South is where the city is. So it's, Oh, Okay. <laughs> So Cockney is a, 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 an urban accent. It's from the city. It, I mean, that's what uh, everybody gives uh, Dick Van Dyke shit about his Cockney accent in uh, um, Mary Poppins. But that, that's okay. kind of the, the most like garish form of it is what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So if it sounds a little like that, it's probably Cockney. Okay. That's, that's what I thought, but yeah. And then the further north you get, the less you can understand. <laughs> and then you get to Scotland okay. and it's a different language. <laughs> and then it's like Brad Pitt and Snatch. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Pikey is a Pikey is a very different dialect and and in indecipherable. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand a single word of what he just said? <laughs> <laughs> dags? Dogs. Like oh yeah, I like dags. That's a great movie. I like Snatch. <laughs> All right, that's about enough of that. And here's Tim with the final word. Mando. (laughs) We'll see you next time. (laughs)